Good morning, church. Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Liam Hardy, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor here at Connection Church Athens. So glad that you're here with us today. I've been so encouraged already, y'all. We had our first session of Heart and Soul this morning, first Heart and Soul of the year, and we had 19 people show up to say that they want to lock arms with our church. Isn't that amazing? Heart and Soul is this really cool opportunity for us to, to get just spend some time with some people who are new in our church, tell them a little bit about our heart and what we're called to do here as a church, and, and just ask them at the end, will you join us and be, and be members and part of, of what we're doing at Connection Church Athens? And it's such a cool step, church, because uh, this place and this body is about so much more than coming for an hour <laughs> on Sunday morning, right? How, how can we build community? How can we really do what God calls us to do, just coming to church and checking out things? But it's just so cool when people take that next step and say, we want to be on board. We want to be all in with what God's doing at Connection Church Athens. So those of you who were in there this morning, thank you so much. I hope Jamie didn't put you to sleep. And I know you guys enjoyed that as well. Will you turn with me? John chapter 9 is where we're going to be today. We're walking through a series through the Gospel of John, uh, kind of making our march and our way toward uh, Easter. And we're thinking about the ministry and the work of Christ. The Apostle John told us why he wrote his book in John 20, verse 31. He said, these things are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. John is telling us that the greatest need in your life is healing and reconciliation and forgiveness of your sins, and that comes one way, through the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're all called to believe in Christ. Last week, we talked about some of the I am statements of Jesus, and last week in John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And we're going to see him say that again. There's this theme throughout the book of John of, of, of darkness and light, right? And we're talking about spiritual terms here, but that if Jesus came to shine a beam of light into a dark world, that all of us are faced with a choice. Do we choose the light, believe in him, or do we stay in darkness, or as we'll see today in blindness. You know, we think about even what Jesus said last week in John chapter 8, that our sin and the darkness is slavery. It leads us to even ask the question, why would some of us choose the darkness? If the light is freedom, if the, if the light is life in Christ, why would we ever choose the darkness? And I think many of us understand that the difficult truth and the uncomfortable truth is that sometimes the darkness is comfortable, and so we kind of want to stay there, even if it is slavery, because it's just kind of comfortable and it's where we're used to being. And, and just thinking an example from the physical term, uh, not spiritual, but did anybody have parents who would wake you up in the most savage way possible growing up, where you'd be in your dark, warm bed in the morning just loving life, and then they would turn on the lights to wake you up? Absolutely worst thing imaginable to happen because our pupils are the size of dinner plates because we've been in the darkness all night and suddenly the light can hurt. Absolutely. Y'all, if Jesus is our wake-up call to come to the light, so many of us actually resist that call because we're comfortable where we are. Now, I wish I was like my wife when it came time to wake up. When Olivia's alarm hits in the morning, she can just sit up and get ready to go. I'm not that way. I'm a different kind of person when it comes to waking up. I'm a snoozer. Anybody a snoozer? Hands across. And if you're in a relationship as a snoozer with a non-snoozer, you know that's a source of conflict. 
I set my alarm 21 minutes before I actually need to get up so I can hit snooze three times. I have woken up to the same song since middle school. It's a kind of an obscure Hillsong song. So this is what I wake up to every morning. Snooze. Next thing I know, because I've already fallen asleep, about that time, Olivia's hitting me. Turn it off. And then one more time. And now I'm awake. Now I'm ready to go. That's normally the way it happens for me. I need the wake-up call a couple of times because, church, I'm lazy. <laughs> and I need it more than once. It's, it's hard for me sometimes to choose the light in the morning. In this passage in John chapter 9 today, we're going to see several people get their wake-up call. And some of them choose Jesus even though it means a life of suffering, even though it means a life of rejection, then we're going to see some people hit the snooze button and choose darkness because of their fear and because of their pride. Title of the message today, church, is don't hit the snooze. You guys know that we've uh, sometimes had people come out here and read the passage as we go, or before we even start, but I want us to read the passage as we go this morning, because this four, these 41 verses of John chapter 9 is just a really, really good story, and there's some twists and turns along the way. So will you start with me? Let's read John 9, 1 through 5. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he would be born blind. Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. First thing, kind of first point that we have this morning is that we see Jesus has this discussion with the disciples about the relationship between sin and blindness. Jesus is walking with his disciples, and they see this man who has been blind since birth. And the disciples ask a very difficult question. I think many of us are even appalled that they would even ask this question in verse 2. They ask, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he would be born blind. They're saying, okay, so this man is blind. This must be the result of some sin in his life, or he was born blind, so maybe it was the result of his parents' sin. And church, the disciples were not the only ones who believed this kind of thing back in this day. They actually believed that, that certain manifestations of sickness or disease were a direct result to someone's sin. And if they were born into that sin then, or into that disease, maybe it was the sin of the parents. And many of us, we hear that, we think, how could they even think something like that? We're going to see in just a little bit, y'all, they thought it because the Pharisees taught it. And this was just the belief. And they're asking, really, what's the connection between our sin and brokenness in our world? Now, that could be disease. That could be some kind of a physical malfunction in our body, something that's wrong. Or it could just be homelessness or hunger or famine or all these things that we see in our world that are so far from God's design. They're saying, what's the relationship between sin and between blindness? And Jesus is telling us, y'all, in verse 3, that this is the absolute wrong question. Because the disciples are looking for responsibility. What they want to know is, why is this person this way? And Jesus tells us how to look at the world with a lot 
life of faith. He said it was neither that this man sinned, verse 3, nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus telling us, when you see someone who's sick, when you see someone who's diseased, don't think, I wonder whose fault that is. Think, I wonder how God's going to use that. Because our God is sovereign, and what we mean for evil, the times we fall short, he can use for his glory. Church, and a life of faith is not walking around pointing the finger trying to find blame every time we see brokenness. It's walking around seeing brokenness and think, I bet God can use that. I know he can because I know his character. Church, don't we do this? We point the finger. Whose fault is this? You know, to talk about the issue of responsibility, if we're going to consider that, I want us to consider it the right way. And church, when I see sin in our world, I need to recognize, when I see someone who's sick, when I see someone who's about to die, I need to recognize that's my fault. Not directly, but I played into the world of brokenness and sin and rebellion that resulted in that. Whose fault is it? all of ours. And church, I believe this is the right mindset. If you want to talk about responsibility for why our world is so broken, look in the mirror first. That's where I should look. And that should move us with humility and compassion for other people, recognizing that somehow by God's grace, maybe I'm not suffering the same way they are, but I deserve it. I deserve a lot worse because of my sin. Jesus doesn't address the responsibility. He addresses the opportunity that God can work through any situation. And what we know, you know just a couple of verses, we're going to see God work. Verse 4, he said, We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And so it's just interesting the disciples asked this question about the relationship between disease and sin in the beginning of this passage. And then God works. Second, we see in verses 6 through 12, Jesus heals the man. Read with me, verse 6. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered them, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Second thing we see this morning, first we talked about the relationship between sin and blindness, and now we're going to see that Jesus heals this man. Now, remember, Jesus has said, I am the light of the world, and Jesus has said that I come to do the works of God in verse 3, and then, hello, he does it right here in these next few verses when he heals this man. Now, the method of healing is a little strange. Jesus makes a mud pie with a spit, that's the way I know how to describe it, and applies it to this man's eyes and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And this man obeys. He does exactly what God had called him to do, and he comes back seeing. Now, I love that his, his healing causes a commotion among the people. They say, is this the same guy? Some people don't even recognize him as the same guy. They think, oh, this can't be him. This must be somebody who just looks like him. Can you imagine how different this man looked just because he could see? I mean, imagine they probably hadn't seen this guy move a whole lot 
because he needed somebody to lead him. He would have been very timid in the way he carried himself, right? Not even understanding so many different things. Can you imagine just the idea of being born blind, not understanding color, not being able to understand really physics or how the world works in so many different ways, and yet his eyes are open. This guy is unrecognizable because of what Jesus had done in his life. And they ask him, verse 10, they say, how then were your eyes open? He says, Jesus encountered my life. He says, he told me to go wash, and I received sight. And we're going to see here, y'all, that this man really doesn't know a whole lot about Jesus. He's healed, and then his neighbors and his friends start trying to figure out what's going on here. And they actually bring the next part to the, bring the man to the Pharisees because they want to kind of launch an investigation. And how in the world can this man who was born blind now see? The third thing we're going to see in this passage is the man's testimony in verses 13 through 17. Read with me. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. Now, they bring the man who was born blind to the Pharisees. And, y'all, it seems like Jesus never healed on any day other than the Sabbath. It's like, oh, it's Sabbath. I'm going to heal somebody, which was a problem for the Pharisees because they believed that God would not heal on the Sabbath because it would violate the command of God to rest and to worship on the Sabbath. And we see this big issue because the Pharisees' religion would not allow for God's work. And so they have an issue with that. And they say, well, this man, how could he be of God? Because he's not keeping the Sabbath. You guys remember back to John chapter 5, Jesus said, well, look at the type of work I'm doing. Right? He says, notice that it has to be of God because it's redemptive, because it's healing. Satan wouldn't heal somebody. No, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, as we're going to see next week in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I'm healing people. I'm making people better. I'm restoring people. Don't you know that this is the power of God? They continue to ask this man, okay, how are you healed? Who healed you? Where is this guy? And he doesn't really know a whole lot. And they ask him, who is Jesus in verse 17? They say, what do you say about him? And he says, he's a prophet. They say, what do you know about Jesus? Who is this man? And he says, well, he's a prophet. Physically, he can see, but his spiritual sight's still a little blurry. Church, do you see this? He doesn't know that Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't know that Jesus is the Messiah. He just knows that he's a man who's powerful, who has the power of God, some spiritual authority, but he does not know that Jesus is yet the Son of God. It's interesting. The Pharisees want to know more about this healing, so they ask the parents. Fourth thing we see, let's ask the parents, verses 18 through 23. The Jews did, then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, or who opened his eyes we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. 
His parents had said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So that for this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Now, it makes sense that the Pharisees would want to ask the parents of this guy because if I ever saw a healing like this, I might be skeptical to think this man was never blind to begin with, right? That they're just kind of making some kind of commotion or making something up. And so they bring the parents to figure out, was this man really blind from birth? And and the parents confirm the story. They say, yes, he was blind from birth, but we don't know how he's been healed. But we find out verse 22 tells us that verse 21 is a lie. Do you see this? Verse 21, they says, we don't know who opened his eyes. Verse 22, his parents said that they, they said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. The Pharisees had already said, if anyone says that Jesus is the Son of God or that he's the Christ, you're kicked out of church. The synagogue was the Jewish church of that day. They knew Jesus had healed their son, but they were afraid of people. And so they just defer. Notice that they don't denounce Jesus. They don't say, it wasn't Jesus, or Jesus is no good, he's bad news. They just say, we don't want to answer. We don't want to talk to you. We're just going to be very passive about this. Ask our son, he's of age. It's interesting, we have this note in verse 22 that John is telling us that even before Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, the Pharisees had already started persecuting people who claimed Jesus was the Christ. Some believe, I was reading some biblical scholars argue that in verse 22, this little phrase that they already agreed to kick people out of the synagogue was in there because when John was writing, he was writing to the early church who was suffering persecution. And he's wanting them to know, yes, you're being persecuted for the name of Christ, but it's not new. The disciples figured it out or experienced it as well. So did people who follow Christ even before he was crucified. The rejection has always been there. The parents have an opportunity to testify and to witness about Christ and say, we know what he's done. We know who he is because he's healed our son, but they're afraid. And so they're silent. Once again, fifth thing we see y'all in verses 24 through 34, we see the man's testimony again. So a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. This man in verse 24, meaning we know Jesus is a sinner. Verse 25, he then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Lyrics to a song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, now I see. Man says, I physically see, but church, I want to argue he couldn't spiritually see yet because he didn't know Jesus was the son of God, didn't believe in Christ as the Messiah. He just knew that he was a prophet. Let's keep reading verse 26. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God had spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he's from. 
The man answered and said to them, well, here's an amazing thing that you do not know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and you are teaching us. So they put him out. Where did the disciples get their theology? from the Pharisees who wouldn't listen to this guy, verse 34, because they said you were born into sin. It's your parents' fault that you were born blind. Church, just a little side note. We'll go back through the whole passage, but be very, very careful to tie someone's suffering in their life to a specific sin in their life. Be very, very careful. You lost your job because of this. You can't have kids because of this, and I know what it is. Y'all, I'm not God. I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit in their lives. Be very, very careful. Do we all have suffering in our life because of sin? Absolutely, but that is between them and the Lord. And we gotta be very, very careful because what we're doing, y'all, is we're judging a person. We're judging their heart, something that I cannot do. This man says, I want to become a disciple of Christ. Notice verse 34, that means he was kicked out of the synagogue. Can you imagine his parents watching their son being rejected but staying with the crowd? The man's logic about the power of Jesus is very simple. He says, this this man must be of God because of the power he has demonstrated. I love verse 32. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. He says, there's no other story like mine. There's been no, no record of someone being healed of blindness. You know, I think if anybody would have known of a story like that, it would have been him. Think about it. Sometimes when we hear stories about somebody experiencing healing or experiencing hope in a situation similar to ours, we hold on to that story, don't we? Because it gives us hope as well. And I believe that this man wanted to hear a story like this. He had asked. If he had heard a story of someone being healed of their blindness, he would have memorized it. He would have wanted to hear it again. He says, there's no story like this. Trust me, I know I'm the expert. Jesus is of God because he's healed me. We see the man's testimony. Again, the sixth thing, y'all, we see in this passage is that Jesus heals the man in verses 35 to 38. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus hears that this man has been put out of the synagogue. He hears that he's been uh, reviled and that he's been um, kicked out and that he's been abandoned by everyone else who was of God, of religion. And Jesus goes and finds this man again. Verse 35, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? The Son of Man is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, a prophecy where one like the Son of Man came before the Father, and the Father gave him an everlasting kingdom. They knew that the Son of Man was the Messiah. And remember, this blind man thought that Jesus was a prophet, that he was of God and had demonstrated his power. And so he essentially says, Lord, who is he that I might believe in him? He says, you point at anybody, and I'm going to worship him because I believe you're a prophet of God. And Jesus doesn't point to anyone else. He says, it's me. 
It's me. I'm the Messiah. Church, I just want to say I'm up here. I'm pointing to Jesus. I'm not pointing to me. We don't point to ourselves. You don't need me to be saved. You don't need a church to be saved. You need Jesus Christ. And this man is standing before Jesus, and he says, it's me. Verse 38, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And the man's healed. Church, I want you to know and I want you to see that John 9, verse 7, is amazing. John 9, 7 says, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. That's an amazing healing of God. But John, John 9, 38 is better. Do you understand that? That this is when the man's healed. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. John did not write the gospel of John so that we would hear about people receiving their sight back. No, he said these things are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the son of God and that you would have life in his name. We are all suffering from physical ailments. You guys probably all know this about me right now, but I can't eat bread because I have a deficiency in my body. And I'm so excited one day to, to be in heaven and eat a big old chicken biscuit. I cannot wait. But that's not the healing I need. I need life in the name of Jesus. I need forgiveness of sin. And I need to be made alive. And the only way we are made alive is by looking at Jesus, seeing the light, saying, Lord, I believe in worshiping him. Church, John 9:38 is the healing that we see in John chapter 9. It's the healing we all need because it's the answer to the disease we're all suffering from. And I plead with you today, if you have not had your John 9, 38 moment where you've looked at him and said, I believe and fallen on your face and worshiped him as the God of the universe. Church, I beg with you, be reconciled to him today. And then finally, in this passage, y'all, the seventh thing we see is Jesus has a discussion about the relationship between sin and blindness. Verses 39 through 41. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, We see, your sin remains. Jesus started this chapter talking with the disciples about the relationship between physical blindness and sin. And he ends this chapter talking about spiritual blindness and sin. And he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, I came to help those see, but those who are already blind, who don't come to me, they will continue in darkness. And he says, the Pharisees say, you're calling us blind? You're saying that we can't see the truth? Because they believed that they were okay. And he says, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we sin, your sin remains. Church, the most dangerous place to be is in darkness, thinking you can see. That's the most dangerous part. And make no mistake, church, we need to understand that the most susceptible people to that is church people. People on the first row of churches thinking we've got it all figured out. Because I go to church every week. I serve on the serving teams. I don't know if you knew. I'm heart and soul. 
and I've got it all figured out. A type of holiness apart from Christ is not holiness. It's religion. And the Pharisees, again and again, in the Gospels are their example, are our warning of religious people who are dead in their sins. Saying, we see. But saying you see (laughs) doesn't mean anything. Now, I've never had that moment. But when vision starts to decline, I'm told you don't really notice it because it's very gradual. Right? And then you go to the doctor one day to get an eye exam. And and you say, hey, I'm great. This will be in and out real quick. And they pull down the chart. And you're like, uh. Because you can't see. And then you need somebody to say, hey, (laughs) you can't see anymore. Sometimes, church, we think we're so good. And we think we're awake. We think we're in the light. But we're just not. Two reasons we hit the snooze button on Jesus. And we choose darkness rather than light. And we see them in two different characters in the story. The first one is the Pharisees. Why did they choose darkness? Why did they choose blindness, even claiming to see? It was because of their pride. They weren't willing to come to Jesus because between them and Jesus was their pride. They had to admit they were wrong. They had to admit they were blind and they just couldn't do it. They didn't see their need. They thought they could see And so they chose to be blind. The second reason we hit the snooze comes from the parents of this story. Now, I hope on the screen, I'm going to see. Oh, cool. Y'all got all those points. Leave that up there. Does anybody know what this graph means while they're in a slanted point? We talked about this during the book of Ephesians. But in the Bible, we see Hebrew poetry and Hebrew writers use a literary device called a chiasm. And it's essentially uh, arranging ideas with a central point with the same parallel themes in reverse order coming out. So when you graph it out, it looks like a greater than, less than sign or half of an X, Greek letter, being chi that looks like an X. And so that's where we get the name chiasm. And so John employs a chiasm in this passage. Just look at this because he wants us to recognize that first we're going to talk about physical blindness in the first half of the chapter. The second half we're going to talk about spiritual blindness. And if you didn't get all that, that's fine. Not a big deal. But what's at the center of the chiasm? What's at the very center of this story that John is telling us? It's the parents of the man who's healed. They're at the very center of the story. And I think we need to take note of that, that Jesus has this discussion with the disciples about blindness. Then he heals the man. Then we hear the man speak. Then the parents come. Then we hear the man again. Then he heals the man spiritually. Then he has another uh, conversation about spiritual blindness. And we just need to recognize that the center of all of it is the parents. Second reason we hit the snooze button, y'all, is fear. I don't want to wake up. I don't want to believe in Christ. I don't want to worship him because I'm afraid of what people are going to say. I'm afraid of rejection. And they had an opportunity. You think about they were indebted to Christ. Can you imagine having a child who was blind and was healed by Jesus? You would feel a certain amount of indebtedness to Jesus for what he had done. But they're weighing out, do I worship him or, and, and reject people? And, and they chose to be silent because it was convenient. And church, I think so many of us think that's an that's a option that we can choose. Don't talk to me about Jesus. I defer. And church, deference is the same as rejection. 
when we're silent about Christ. He's too good not to speak up about. He's too good to be silent about. Amen? And so when we choose to do that, church, what we're saying is, I, I, don't, I don't accept him. I don't accept him. And so I ask you this morning, I challenge you, who, who are you going to be? <laughs> are you going to be the Pharisees, ignoring Christ because of our pride? Are we going to be the parents, ignoring Christ because of our fear? Or are we going to be like the blind man who had a very simple faith? And the way he saw it, there was only one option. This man has healed me. He's worthy of my life. And so when Jesus finds him and says, worship me, he says, I believe. Church, Jesus is not going to come find you one day when you're kicked out of church like this. John's very, very clear. This book was written. This gospel of John is Jesus standing before us this morning by the power of the Spirit saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the light of the world. I can heal you. And I ask, I challenge you, church, what's your response to him? I'm going to ask the band if they'll come up. We're going to sing one more song. And I just want this to be a time of reflection. If we're struggling with our pride or we're struggling with our fear of proclaiming Christ, church, we just need to stop. Uh, we just really need to get over ourselves a little bit in our pride and our fear and recognize that no matter what happens to us in this life, he is worthy of all of us. And that's why I love this next song we're about to sing calling together the church, worshiping together the church, singing that he is worthy of his name. He's worthy about the name that is above every name. And when I'm afraid of rejection, when I'm full of fear, I'm okay with his name being made great, even at the expense of my name. Who needs more Liam Hardy? Who needs that name to grow any greater? That's not what we need, church. We need the name of Christ. And so I pray as we worship together, we would be willing to surrender be willing to put our agenda aside so that his name may become greater. Church, I'm thankful for you. Thank you that you're here. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you're so good. Lord, we believe Jesus Christ has the power to heal the blind. Lord, and he has the power to heal anyone who would come to him by faith, Lord, believing in the work of Jesus. God, I pray there's anyone here this morning who needs to have that moment where they, they see Christ and believe, Lord, I pray today would be that day as we worship, as we study your word. Lord, that you would just guide people to yourself. Lord, we know you're working. Lord, we know you're moving. We know you're so good, Father. I pray you give us boldness to live out that faith each and every day, Lord. I thank you for these people. God, would you continue to be glorified through Connection Church. Lord, this is all for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.